This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you, as basically almost always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-times-awesome, spectaculario, fantabulous, sleep-deprived, yet still amazing co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started with our... It's a hybrid podcast. We're doing playoff previews every first round series and picks, of course, because we pick things. We're also going to be delivering our final report card grades of the regular season. We will be sticking with playoff teams only. The lottery teams will be coming out. We'll probably do it for Monday morning so that you can get your week started off right. Maybe just a little change of pace after digesting what will be a shit ton of playoff action. Before we do really hop in, as usual, I want to... Ask, remind, implore, beg, plead to the upteenth power for everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. It means the world when you do that. It's one of two ways that you can help the podcast just grow right now. Andy and I talk about it all the time. We're super appreciative of everyone that's listening. It boggles both our minds that there are listeners sliding into our mentions after every podcast and actually talking to us about it because apparently people listen to us just sling all this bullshit that we call <laughs> opinions. So we're humbled by it, but we would ask that you please continue to drive those ratings up. We are still trying to catch Stephen Curry's single season record for 402 three pointers by getting to 403 reviews. Lastly, the Benno code still works at nbamath.com. It will, uh, NBA math shop, excuse me, it will get you 15% off. That's nbamath.com slash shop. Promo code Benno should be easy enough to remember. And definitely continue checking out those designs there. We're going to need to come up with a hard, some Hardwood Knox shirts, I think, at some point. Maybe, like, shout out and then just, like, Benno Udre's caricature. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe even Kyle That's Anderson, awesome. who I compared to a Pokemon in an article that I just wrote recently. Anyway, we are on to the previews once we find out. Andy, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh... You said I was sleep deprived. I feel like I'm like maybe half the level of sleep deprivation that you just regularly operate on. Which I can, is I can show you my concoction of vitamins and natural energy supplements <laughs> if you if you would like. I usually uh I don't do a ton of volume for Bleacher Report anymore, but I have four different articles that'll be published. Or I wrote them all in the last like twelve hours. I guess one of them's not going to be published till Sunday morning. Um, but yeah, it was like a random day where a bunch of stuff came together at the same time, and a lot more busy than usual, at least with Bleacher Report. So that was fun. This uh, but beautiful and brutal business at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and one of them was uh, 
So as you know, I write for like a bunch of different departments for Bleacher Report. I don't just have like one set gig. So I thought I had three articles, which was like, whatever, it's not too bad. Um, but then while I'm writing the third one this morning, I get an email from a different department. It was like, hey, do you remember that you agreed to do this article for me? Uh, and I asked you to have it done by today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, now I do. So, yeah, it was fun. Uh, but enough about my uh, ridiculous complaints. I, I am excited for the playoffs. Those man. complaints we, are I, not I, ridiculous. Just <laughs> FYI. You're versatile. That's what we call well, thank it. You. The scouting report on Andy's writing, super versatile, high intelligence, lots of upside. I had to write about the Masters. Uh that Sunday, the final round, and I sent it to my dad afterward and said, just, just be brutally honest with me and, and tell me if you can tell that I do not watch golf. And he said it, it didn't uh, come off that way, so I was pretty proud of myself. Probably not the best promotion <laughs> of that right here, but again, I don't write well, about it. Well, it's a few days old now. I think people have probably already clicked all the times they're going to click on it, so whatever. <laughs> all right, so uh, on that note, where do you want to start? Um, should we just go uh, Eastern Conference first, since East is before West in the alphabet, and just kind of run through the seeds that way? do you know what I think we're going to need to talk about really quickly? What's that? Uh, the Knicks and the Magic firing their coaches. Oh, yeah, good call. Um, like, welcome back to New York. You're fired, Jeff Hornacek. Did, did Orlando travel back last night, too, or were they home? I don't even know. The Magic? Um, yeah. Did they even have to play? I just thought it was kind of funny that the story was like, he got off the airplane and they well, he said, had to because fine. the news broke like like after one in the morning and they played in Cleveland. So, well, and the magic wrapped didn't, up. Wasn't that like they met him at the airport and told him you're fired, right? They Isn't had that to. They were down? probably pissed that he yeah. won. Like you needed to see him to lose. And uh, they were the magic hosted Washington last night and they actually won too. That's probably why Vogel got fired as well. That was. I guess it makes sense. I feel like the the Hornacek one makes more sense like that relationship seemed like it was strained for a while i don't and i get why vogel got fired too i mean it's it's like the easy thing to do i think when you're in a situation like that but they certainly they didn't saddle him with much of a roster over these last two years no um (laughs) that front office has been a mess for a while now have they had they haven't been to the playoffs since dwight left right no I was going to ask if they've had one good team. I don't even think they've had like a mediocre team. The, everyone thought they were going to be good this year when they were 8-4. and four. The So it actually, to me, the magic firing just makes more sense. I, and first of all, the timing, it seems like they got rid of him this morning, which is at least like you, you probably like talk. You didn't meet him at the airport and just punch him in the face and say bye. The It was a new front <laughs> office regime. They inherited Frank Vogel. He wasn't there. Well, pick. that's true of New York too, though, right? Well, I mean, Steve Phil Mills worked under, yeah, but he worked under Phil Jackson when that hiring process was going on. And the thing I I'll, I won't really understand is why did neither of these teams then make the coaching change? Like when they were first installed, perhaps they just weren't impressed with the list of available candidates. But the list of competent available candidates hasn't changed much. You have David Fisdale thrown in there, which is a big deal, but. No one's breaking down the door to get a shot at Earl Watson or Jason Kidd. Maybe Steve Clifford. They got to they gotta go for some new names. That's one thing I hate about pro sports is how often head coaching jobs are just recycled through the same people. Wait till Jeff Van Gundy's mentioned as a, as a Oh, I'm sure he'll come up. He's already come up. The, uh, go ahead. Yeah. The, but what I was going to say about the Magic is just like 
so you want the new regime wants their own coach, but who wants to coach this team? You have their unless something happens on the salary dump front, and they don't really have they don't have one the contracts that you can just move, nor do they have the assets that you can just grease the wheels of a salary dump with. You're not going to give up Jonathan Isaac just to get off of Bismack Biombo's deal. That'd be stupid. At the same time, they're going to have to operate then as a capped out team. Aaron Gordon's about to get paid a whole bunch of money. Uh, if he gets an over-the-top offer the she- offer sheet, do you just match? At this point, you probably oh, have to because he's the closest well, thing you have to. Just, if he walks and they – well, I don't even know who else is a free agent besides him and his own yet. Would they still be over the cap? They would not, but it, they wouldn't have this crap ton of cap space either. I can actually look that up really quick since I have all of this jotted down. But you already – you can tell what they're doing. They got rid of Alfred Payton at the trade deadline. They didn't pick up Pazonia's – team option and now they can't even I don't think anyone's going to offer him like six million dollars so that Orlando can't technically outbid for his services but I just you're not he's not coming back and so if you get rid of Aaron Gordon's cap hold from this team and I'm just assuming I put in it could be a little bit more than this because they're not going to end up with a top three pick but I put in a top three picks cap hold you're going to have about 11 million dollars in space you can waive Shelvin Mack that'll give you more but to let Aaron Gordon walk just so you can get between seventeen and twenty yeah, million dollars in know cap if they space. Can do that. Yeah, you're not. And first of all, you're not a free agent destination. That would that space would be more for role guys who can help you improve immediately, or if you want to take back bad contracts. They're just in such a crappy situation. And what it's going to come down to, I think, for this regime, how do they draft? Because the the previous front office didn't do a good job drafting. I think we saw not a lot of Jonathan Isaac, but enough. Certainly, the defensive pairing between him and Gordon. Um, was something to look at. The Magic allowed in the possessions they played together, it's something like under 98 points per 100 possessions, which is just, that's fantastic for them. I just, if I'm a coach, I don't know that I want, this team isn't, it's not stockpiled with young talent and they're not flexible. How long is it going to take for them to find their way back, if at all? I'm not saying the Knicks' job is super appealing, but the Magic are just, I, I would say even less so. Yeah, I don't know if either. I mean, at least the Knicks have Chris Tepps Porzingis, like a a surefire star, assuming health. Trey Burke, <laughs> surefire star. The Trey, Trey Burke. Burke. They should have. They should have kept Hornacek just for the Trey Burke reclamation. Um, yeah, if I had to pick between the two, I'd probably say the Knicks' job is more desirable. There's just. I was going to say there's no evidence to suggest that Orlando is like an organization that can get things going in the right direction, but I, I, New York, I was going to say, yeah, the Knicks certainly aren't either. Um, and this is probably just the first of a way, like a, we'll have a few more dismissals this summer, right? Woj wrote in his article uh, on the Jeff Hornacek firing that both Detroit and Charlotte are expected to come to decisions on the futures of Stan Van Gundy and Steve Clifford respectively soon. The Van Gundy tenure in Detroit has not gone well. There's no way they, maybe they try to strip him of his presidential duties, but the only way he leaves is if he forces them like to like oust him because he doesn't want to just be the head coach. You don't let him make the Blake Griffin trade if you're planning on getting rid of him. Yeah, we've talked about this in a previous podcast. And I get the logic to that, but it's just it it has not gone well. Now, um, can you rank? So there are four. It's interesting that that's uh, those are two guys from sort of the same coaching tree too, Clifford and Van Gundy. Um, can you? It, so there are four. Unless I'm missing something, there could be more. But right now, there are four 
head coach openings, Milwaukee, Phoenix, New York, and Orlando? Uh, yes. Can you we rank those in order of appeal? Milwaukee and Phoenix. Uh, Milwaukee's the most appealing. The, Jay Triano's not coming back. I, I mean, I oh, just... Oh, I know. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Oh, not like, Jay Triano. Jay... Excuse me. Him and Joe Prunty. I don't know. Yeah, neither... neither... Either one is coming back. Those are like the two interim coaches, but I and I'm sure they'll get like a ceremonial interview. But um, Milwaukee's definitely the most uh, appealing spot because they have Giannis, and I still think that's a really talented roster, at least in the top like five to six spots. Um, So that's number one. Depending on how you feel about being in the biggest market, maybe that's appealing. Plus, you have Kristaps Porzingis there. So I would probably put New York second. Um, man, it's hard to pick between Phoenix and Orlando. I would say Phoenix really? just because they have Devin Booker. I was going to put Phoenix above New York. Oh, because of Booker? You have Booker. Josh Jackson showed some things. That yeah, pick, that's true. Their pick this year, they have the Heats pick. They have that 2021 Heats pick. They have cap space. I think I'd put Phoenix two, Knicks three, Orlando four. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. The, I might swap New York and Phoenix, but yeah. The thing I'm, with New I'm York good. and why this might be encouraging, and Hornacek hinted at this, Woj put in his piece that they're looking at making noise in 2019 free agency, and that means you're probably going to wait on a Porzingis extension to work with a smaller cap hold because he will get max money. And it also gives you an idea of how will he return or how will he perform upon his return from injury. But that also means if you're going after 2019 free agency, there's no point – in waiving Joakim Noah this summer because then you have him just it's like 7.6 million dollars in dead money on the books for a half decade his contract will be expiring next summer you could stretch it over three years and save yourself some flexibility that way or maybe he's just easier to move in general and if they're honestly thinking that far in advance it shows some semblance of forethought which is not an attribute they have exhibited in the past, and you're still going to have the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract on your books, but if they're smart this summer, Ennis Cantor won't be on the books in 2019. I saw a report that said he's leaning towards opting out, which actually really surprises me. If he opts out, the Knicks better not do this thing where they bring him back on like, you know, three years and 40 million or whatever it is, because then then you're going against what you just said. So I think that's the encouraging aspect of this, is it seems like the Knicks might possibly actually cater to the big picture for once but we have to see it to believe it and not only the coach they pick will go into that but how they handle free agency more so we'll say a great deal do they get rid of noah do they re-sign Cantor if he opts out all that stuff well they can't get rid of noah as long as you're a fan so <laughs> they i would just eat it like you you made your bed just line it you're not going anywhere for the next two years when tim hardaway jr is going to be basically your highest paid player and his canter opts out him and Joakim Noah. It's just, it's not going to happen. So the Trey Burke, Joakim Noah era will live on forever in Nick floor. Oh, man. Um, that seems like, a should good we jump leaving. into the, yeah. <laughs> that seems like <laughs> a good place matchup. to leave it. Yep. I'll okay, throw first it to off, you. we have the Raptors East's number one seed. They went 59 and 23 versus the Washington wizards who went 43 and 39 and fell all the way to eighth by the end of the season starting with the Raptors um I think for the season they have to get an A they they played I mean they had a little bit of a lull here towards the end of the season but overall a 59 win season is a heck of an accomplishment it's the highest in franchise history the bench is 
I, I think still the best bench in the NBA, and I think it's going to come in handy in the playoffs, even though most teams do shorten their rotations. I, the big question, as always, um, and I just looked these numbers up today, Lowry in his career is under 40% from the field in the playoffs and just over 30 from three. Um, DeRozan is just over 40 from the field and around 20% from three in the playoffs. Um, as good as the bench is, I, I think this series is still going to be largely, at least for Toronto, about those two guys and whether or not they can finally sort of shake these playoff demons. I give the Raptors an A as well. There was someone in my mentions when I put out grades for Bleach Report, they were mad that the Raptors didn't get an A+. Plus. I was, I was <laughs> you just... got to quibble over that plus. Right. Um, everything you said, I, I just totally agree with. The issue, the bench has been good. They're, again, their second most used lineup is that all-bench mob that's just destroying opponents. That unit has cooled off in recent weeks. More to the point, can you put that combination of players against starter-heavy units? Because other teams are going to pare down their rotations, and it says that, or Dwayne Casey previously said that he wouldn't, which I respect, and it's definitely worth a shot, but we've talked about this before. Where do you cut if you're forced or compelled to cut because everyone has just been Van Vliet's been closing games for you. Siakam's going to be important to retain your switchability on the defensive end. Pirtle's been a, a pretty good rim runner, great offensive rebounder. CJ Miles is basically your most consistent floor spacer at this point, maybe outside of Kyle Lowry. So they're going to have some tough decisions there. That being said, the Wizards do not worry me in the context of the Raptors. I gave the Wizards for this season a C plus. I know they lost John Wall, but their defense has been underwhelming, and he's not going to shift the tenor of the defense, particularly after coming off left knee problems. The other thing is their shot profile is just bad. They're, they're third in long mid-range frequency, according to Cleaning the Glass, and 22nd in three-point attempt rate. Their crunch time offense is terrible, and John Wall has not been good. In crunch time. They're getting blitzed by more than nine points per 100 possessions of crunch time he plays. And of every player with a usage rate in the clutch of 25 or higher, John Wall has the fifth worst true shooting percentage. Bradley Beal has the third worst. Ooh. I just, this team, they've <laughs> been good in the playoffs before, both Beal and Wall at the same time. And I think that can help them push this to six games. And I'm, I'm an Otto Porter fanboy. He's spectacular. We've even seen Kelly Oubre Jr. make some plays in the playoffs to this point. I think the Raptors take this in six. Raptors in six is what I said too. Um, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm doing all these grades on the fly this time. By the way, I'm gonna give. You're the really Wizards... bad at promoing shit today. I wrote about <laughs> golf and know nothing about golf. We're gonna do report card <laughs> grades, and I don't have my grades. Um, I'm just kidding. You're yeah, always I'm just, prepared. I'm just flying flying by the seat of my pants today. I'm going to give Washington a C because I, 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 I think wow, if you were you harder had told, on them than I was, I was just I was like, Hey, say, John Wall missed a shit ton of time. I can't, I got to give him a plus, but I, see, I'm not sure that was a bad thing for Washington because they played so well when he was out. Uh, if, if you had told, or if somebody had told you before the season that Washington was going to win 43 games and finish eighth, in the Eastern Conference, I think just about anybody would have said that's a massive disappointment for that team. Um, they've been together for a long time. In terms of just name recognition, they're super talented. 
But I think this team has all kinds of problems that go beyond basketball, too. Um, John Wall and Marcin Gortat have been, like, sniping at each other much of the season. Scott Brooks just went on a rant about how they're a selfish team, and Gortat said he's right. Um, we talked about that crazy contract for John Wall. They're going to pay him over $200 million for the next six years, and in the last year it's almost 50. Um, they, they now have him on this, like, borderline immovable contract. Borderline? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I don't it. That was me. Yeah, that was because me. Yeah. I don't like I, I I never saw the Blake Griffin trade coming, and that's somehow they made it work. And we talked uh, about a potential Phoenix Suns wizard trade that arguably could make that sense one was for interesting both. to me. Yeah, but they they have they have issues on the floor, they have issues off the floor, and maybe this is a slight to Toronto to say it's going to take them six games <laughs> to beat the Wizards. But I do think, like you pointed out, the Wizards have had some success in the playoffs in the past, so. Playoff I think Bradley enough. Beal's a thing. Like, yeah, that's an actual sure. thing. Yeah, and, and so I think I can give them confidently two games, but that's about it. So okay. I gave them a C. We both picked them in six. Um, should we move on seven. to the, yeah. Celtics are second, uh, and the Bucks are seventh. That's another team that's been really disappointing to me, but I'll start with the higher seed. Again... This is a team that has sort of fallen off a little bit in the second half of the season. Completely understandable for them, though. They lost Kyrie Irving. They lost Marcus Smart. Daniel Tice, who was surprisingly like a really important player for them. Um, they were without Jalen Brown for a little bit. They've just been walloped by injuries. And, yeah, I haven't even mentioned Gordon Hayward yet. The fact that they got to 55 wins with all of the injuries uh, that they went through is just mind-blowing to me i'm giving them an a and this is this is like the hardest or one of the hardest series for me to pick um and that one of the bleacher report articles i wrote i did pick celtics in seven but i i just i am not confident at all in that pick because obviously milwaukee's gonna have the best player in that series i'm just so worried about them in terms of coaching and just sort of how sporadic they've been all season. Um, I, I, I trust that Boston will play really good defense, score when they need to, and like I said, I picked Boston in seven for this one. I gave Boston, I gave Boston for their grade an A as well, and it is equally mind-melting to me how well they fail, fared given everything that's happened. Uh, and it's not like their problems are mitigated by an excess of experience they're the forced young they're the fourth youngest team by average age in the NBA. Only two of their six most played players are older than twenty-four. Jason Tatum, a twenty year old rookie, leads the team in total minutes. And here they are turning in fifty plus victories. Yeah, it's crazy. The key for them is just gonna be can they score? Because their defense is gonna be fine. They run the equivalent of a league worst offense, though, when Jason Tatum plays without Al Horford or Kyrie Irving on the floor. The upshot there is you're not going to be playing without Al Horford as much, presumably. And he's been stellar just because it's the playoffs. And we can imagine that unless Brad Stevens just says, hey, I'm just going to steer into this development. But you're going to have him on the floor at all times because it is the playoffs. And that should help. But what is going to happen during those stints where where it's Jason Tatum on his own? And... What's been slightly encouraging, and it hasn't, you know, 
Jalen Brown was dealing with the concussions, and both him and Tatum have been good since Kyrie Irving went down. Since he's returned from his concussion, by the way, Jalen Brown's shooting better than 57% on threes. The other thing is, in the very, very, very short time that these two have played together since the Kyrie Irving injury, Boston's offensive rating is close to 110. So if you can find a way and- to survive those stretches without Al Horford, that you will win the series because your defense is better than Milwaukee's, who... Um, for the season, I ended up. I was. Just, they are the most disappointing team in the NBA to me. It's not even just one of. They're the most disappointing team because they're so top heavy. I gave them a C. I actually saw at the after their final regular season loss, the Sixers, which was just disgusting. Yeah. Eric Bledsoe now has a better net rating than Giannis Antetokounmpo. Interesting. I bet you it falls off way more when Antetokounmpo goes off, though. Yes, but also Bledsoe, the Milwaukee Bucks have been a plus, uh, I think by close to a point per 100 possessions when Bledsoe plays without Atentacumpo on the floor. But with that, and that's, look, they're top heavy, but what are you doing to close games? Uh, can Jabari Parker play in crunch time because his defense has been that awful? Are we really going to see Jason Terry play meaningful minutes in the playoffs? Some of their most used lineups are still t- statistical fireballs, but they're, the Bucks are just. They have not. I have no faith in them. What they do have, though, is the best player in the series with the potential to have the two best players in the series because Middleton has not been as good recently, and a lot of people have criticized his defense all season, but I just feel like Milwaukee's personnel isn't set up well for him. But either him or Bledsoe, you could talk yourselves into them playing better than Al Horford or Jason Tatum. I am going Celtics in seven as well. I don't feel great about it, but the Bucks have not earned the slightest shred of our trust. Yeah, I don't know if I said a grade for the Bucks, but I, I will give them a C as well. They've they've definitely been uh, very disappointing. Um, all right, Philadelphia, Miami, the 76ers, They are on a what a sixteen game winning streak now. 16, if they yeah. get, if they get, uh, I, there's like conflicting reports. I think the most recent one was Brett Brown saying that Joel Embiid is not going to play in Game One, but at least we're already talking about that. So it sounds like he'll he'll be back at some point during the first round. And I know there's some people floating around out there that say this is this is like a tough matchup for Philly. This is one of the worst teams they could have drawn. Uh, I, I just think the sheer talent at the top of Philadelphia's roster is going to overwhelm Miami. They have some nice players. Eric Spolster is a great coach. Uh, but I, this past summer, they kind of pigeonholed themselves into, I think, exactly this kind of team, just sort of middle of the Eastern Conference, maybe slightly above the middle. Whereas Philadelphia, I'm ready to call them a legitimate um, Eastern Conference title contender. Like I, I think they can represent the East in the finals. I'm going to give them an A as well. I'm tempted to even throw in a plus, um, as meaningless as that may be. They've just been unbelievable. And and one of the most exciting things about them that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is how good they've been when it's just completely Ben Simmons' show since Joel Embiid has gone down, and really for the last two or three months. Um, They're loaded. We've talked about them having the best lineup in the NBA. They're starting five, and now they have a couple bench guys who are reliable in Bellinelli and Ilyasova. I could go on and on and on. I'm I'm just very, very high on the Sixers right now. I picked them in five, by the way. Wow, five. 
I, yep, coaching, I, I think they're going to roll. Here's my thing. They've been playing well without Joel Embiid on the floor basically for a while. If you, It's wild. If you look up their net rating by month with him off the court, it's incredible. October, seven games, minus 15.4 net rating. November, 14 games, minus 1.1. December, 15 games, minus 7.7. January, 12 games, minus 2.9. February, 11 games, minus 3. March, 16 games, plus 4.6. April, 6 games, plus 13.2. That, and I actually think that number, I think it was 7 uh, games they ended up playing in April. No, I need to, I should... But anyway... They, and for like most of the season, when Simmons and Embiid are together, it's like plus 20. Yeah, and they're plus 16.1 in April through 7 games. I was looking at... I did some of these stats the other day. The six... Uh, I'm going to pick... I gave the Sixers an A. I gave Miami a B, which just feels appropriate. They're... There's just so much about their offense that feels blah. Without Goran Dragic or Wayne Ellington there, I just don't think that they would have any offensive appeal whatsoever. But they're astutely coached. Eric Spolster is just, he's built for these chess matches. Like his mind, I feel like it just thinks in those terms. He can make really good adjustments on the fly, but you give him like a day to figure something out against the same opponent, and I think he'll figure it out. The Sixers, though, as you alluded to, are just too deep. I'm picking them... I'm going to pick them in six. I, you know what? I'm picking Sixers in seven because we don't know when Joel Embiid's going to come back, and I think that's going to matter. If he if he misses game one, they could lose game one. That That's a distinct possibility. The other thing is, and I, I hate going to the intangibles crap, but Robert Covington, Joel Embiid, Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons, how are these guys going to play yeah. in the playoffs? Is this a team the that's just— The inexperience is yeah, big. Is, is it just going to be a letdown? The stat I'm going to throw out now, though, because it's just uh, to help showcase how deep the Sixers have really become. What I found interesting about Markel Fultz being kind of absent for most of this year, they were they were forced to plumb the depths of their playmaking outside Ben Simmons and TJ McConnell. And J.J. Redick was running a lot more pick and rolls than he has in years past. So he's still that same guy. He's shooting almost 46% on catch-and-shoot threes. He's averaging more points per possession off screens than Clay Thompson. But he this this is what got me. So and I'm like I'm even stumbling through it now because it's still amazing me. Of the 144 players to to initiate at least 75 pick and rolls, JJ Redick ranks 3rd in points per possession, behind only Kyrie Irving and his royal splashiness Stephen Curry. So his scoring out of the pick and roll has just been nuts to me. And so they have all these options. Dario Sarge has been better in his role than people think. I I bet even if Joel Embiid doesn't play, they'll win the series. I'm wondering if an experience will bite them. So I'm going Sixers in seven. And just to reiterate, I gave them an A and Miami a B. I think the experience thing is, is absolutely worth mentioning. Um, I didn't give Miami a grade. I'm going to give them a B as well. It just feels like... Josh Richardson has been a beast. They, yeah, he has been good. It just feels like they've kind of performed as expected. I, I don't know what we could have seen differently after the summer well, that they had. What could really turn it for them, so Justice Winslow is shooting 39.2% from three on, I would say, modest volume would be generous, but since December 1st. If the Sixers are going to abandon him, and I expect they will because he hasn't really established himself as this great ball handler— and he's going to make those open shots, that's going to change the way they need to be defended. And 
again, Josh Richardson has just been a monster defensively, which will be interesting to see. Can he eliminate one of J.J. Redick or Robert Covington from the equation just by being up in their face? I looked at this. They the, might have to throw him on Simmons, too. They're going to have to throw a bunch well, of different people at Simmons. And that Simmons. was the other thing is that he can play. Simmons is a point guard, but he, I think Josh Richardson can just def, – he's defended some in the post, and he's been pretty good. And I looked this up uh, last night. The only guards in NBA history to match Josh Richardson's block and steal percentages while shooting – at least 37.5% from deep in an entire season. Kent Bazemore, which happened this season with Atlanta, I found that a little bit surprising. Danny Green, 2014-2015 on the Spurs, and Eric Bledsoe during his final season with the Clippers. Yeah, it's an interesting bunch for sure. His his versatility, I think, has been one of the coolest things for the last Basically, since he's been, if in he the could league. hit more pull-up jumpers because he's a good standstill weapon right now. But if he could hit more pull-up jumpers, he would be, he he would be even more amazing. I guess that's that's where I'm going to go with it. <laughs> One other interesting uh, sort of subplot to this series is, I wonder, I wonder how hard Miami will try to move Hassan Whiteside if he just gets destroyed by Embiid, or really if they just, I mean, if they're a first-round exit and they don't look all that competitive, I wonder. If the white side trade stuff will. Do you even have to. Uh, honest question. How much do you play white side in a series like this? Just because. I don't know, man. Kelly Olinick's partnership with Bam Adebayo or James Johnson has, has been better. Really, just about any front court combination that does not have white side. <laughs> oh, it's... And Olinick has been balling for most of this year, specifically lately. They're seven players, and this will be the last heat stat I throw out before we move on. Seven players are entering the postseason averaging at least 17 points and four assists per 36 minutes with a true shooting percentage of 60 or better. They are James Harden, LeBron James, Nicole Jokic, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Kyrie Irving, who's done for the year, and Kelly Olenek. That's <laughs> That's nerds. perfect. Yeah. And him adding like assists to his stat lines this year is something I did not see coming. Um, Eric Spolstra, man. That, I was going to say, that's one thing I love about Spolstra is how many different guys he'll trust to create for others. Uh, like, and Bam Adebayo, having even. Vision to, yeah, Adebayo's um, assist percentage is way better than I would have expected. Trusting James Johnson to be like a bona fide point forward, I think, was a huge part of his sort of career turnaround. Um, so I, I picked Philly in five. You picked him in seven. Should we move on to the Cavs and the Pacers? Just after noting that Bam Adebayo has more assists during his rookie season than Hassan Whiteside had through the first five years of his career. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, that was one of my favorite stats for years was oh God. Hassan, Hassan Whiteside's assist stuff. Cleveland, number four. They went 50-32. and 32. Um, I'm going to give them a B plus I because... They they have LeBron, so maybe you think they should have won more than exactly 50. But there was so much chaos uh, within that organization over the course of the season. And whether or not you want to fault LeBron for that is, you know, that's a different discussion. But he was ridiculous. For them to deal with all the trades that they made on the fly and just all of the internal stuff they had with Derrick Rose and Isaiah Thomas and to still come out of it hitting that magic number of 50 – um, that's fairly impressive. Indiana, 
the number five seed, the other team in this series went 48 and 34. I'm going to give them an A because, as we've said many, many times on this podcast, I think even optimistic projections on them before the season would have been like low 40s, maybe competing for a playoff spot. I think they've vastly exceeded expectations. Oladipo um, personally just blew expectations out of the water. Winning the pay, winning the Paul George trade just by itself probably should earn them an A. Um, but even after I say all that and, and sort of rave about the Pacers for a little bit, I pick uh, Cleveland in four on this one. I just think playoff LeBron. He's basically already been playoff LeBron. He's averaging like thirty ten and ten since the trade <laughs> deadline, which is insane. And that sounds like an exaggeration, but that's literally what he's averaging. Like give or take a few tenths of a point on each of those. Um, and yet, <laughs> let's say he's not playoff LeBron right now, and there's still another level he can get to. There's just nothing Indiana can do with that. So I, I think Cleveland is going to win this in four. And as I say that, it, doesn't he have some some kind of streak? Like how many straight first rounds has he swept? Do you remember that? No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm going to look that up while you're talking. But that's what I'm doing. I, I go... B plus to the Cavs, A to the Pacers, and Cavs in four. I'm surprised I found someone who was more generous to the Cavs than me. I gave them a B, basically for all the reasons you said. And the other thing is, if you were really expecting them to be a lot better than this, you missed the mark. We all, well, I shouldn't say we all, most of us screwed up the analysis on the heels of the Kyrie Irving trade. a lot. I thought it was at least a quality return under the circumstances. It turned out it wasn't. Yeah, I was, I was wrong about that too. And you then you endure this midseason turnover. Either way, though, even if you had Kyrie Irving, here's the thing. The Cavaliers' defense is, is shit. It's supposed to be shit because the personnel that they have around LeBron is shit. And I don't care that LeBron doesn't—I shouldn't say I don't care. LeBron not trying during the regular season or not exerting, in the words of Deadpool, maximum effort <laughs> for anything other than the postseason— I could see how that would rub some people the wrong way, but he's still going to be the guy you turn to at the end of games to lock uh, opponents down. I've, we've seen him defend a bunch of point guards down the stretch. He's been absolutely unreal in the clutch. And I I just, it's they're a B. They won 50 games with a crappy defense and a ton of turnover. I don't know that you should have expected much less, but you definitely shouldn't have, have, have you should not have, if I could talk, that'd be great, expected much more. Uh, so I gave them a B. I gave the Pacers an A as well, and you just can't argue against it. If you also look, they it wasn't just the Paul George trade. They endured a ton of turnover over the offseason. Only the Knicks and the Clippers have fewer of last season's minutes on their roster this season than the Pacers. And for them to flirt with 50 victories is absolutely nuts. Victor Oladipo, we've talked about him He's been terrific. That cold streak he was on was just uh, officially over uh, by the time that he got to his final stretch of the season. He closed over his last seven games. I believe he was averaging, here it is, 22.3 points, 5.9 assists, and 3.9 steals per game over his final seven on 60.8% shooting, almost 47% from three. And the last thing I'll say about the Pacers which is why I could see Cleveland Street coming to an end of these, or LeBron's, do you have his sweep record it up? Was, if they sweep the Pacers this year, it'll be six straight years that he swept his way through the first round. I mean, that's nuts. And, <laughs> uh, but the Pacers, which I found um, just 
insanely interesting. They have the NBA's best crunch time defense, and they have. Can you name the teams that have a better crunch time net rating than them? Than the Pacers? Yeah. Uh, or how many no, teams? It's I ju- can't. It's Houston and Cleveland. That's it. Wow. And we need to talk about Cleveland being second behind Houston. Yeah, I'm ultimately going to go Cleveland in four. I think Indiana can steal a game because of what it's done in crunch time. Uh, Victor Oladipo has been pretty good there as well. The What I want to look for and see is have the Cavs been saving the LeBron at the four, Kevin Love at the five combination for the playoffs. I know Love has been injured, but LeBron played in all 82 games, and they only went to that pairing for 192 possessions per cleaning the glass. Their net rating during that time, plus 42.5 with a defensive rating of 95. Wow. That would be interesting then to me if you, if they can play like that. That's the thing I'm looking for for Cleveland in the playoffs. All right, that wraps up the Eastern Conference. I am going to jump us over to the West where we have the number one seeded Houston Rockets, 65-17, and 17, against the number eight Minnesota Timberwolves who are in on the backs of that on the back of that play-in game uh, in which they beat the Nuggets. They finished 47 and 35. The Rockets, I am going to give an A plus two. Um, they have been a legitimate juggernaut all season long. I looked this up the other day. Um, Chris Paul, he's played at least 100 minutes with uh, 10 different Rockets. Nine of them have a better net rating when they're on the floor with Chris Paul. Um, the only one who doesn't is Joe Johnson, and that's a pretty small sample. I think he's played like just over 200 minutes with him. So that could have shifted like with a couple good stretches. Uh, seven players, or wait, no, six. Six out of the ten have a better true shooting percentage. And both of those things are true with James Harden. So when James Harden plays and Chris Paul is not on the floor, Houston outscores opponents by 7.8 points per 100 possessions. That's nuts. When James, <laughs> yeah, that is that's still really good. When James Harden and Chris Paul play together, they outscore opponents by thirteen point six points per hundred possessions, and Harden's true shooting percentage goes up almost four percent when he plays with Chris Paul. Um, which and and it was it's good to begin with. Uh, without Chris Paul, it's still over sixty. So it goes from like really really good to ridiculous, like almost Steph Curry level when when Chris Paul is on the floor. Uh, those two, I mean, a, a lot of people are saying this, but I really do feel like this is a different sort of team for James Harden, for Chris Paul, for Mike D'Antonio, Mike D'Antonio, Mike D'Antoni. Um, You're like spell check on my computer. Every time I write D'Antoni, it goes to D'Antonio. That's true. I've had that happen to me too. Maybe that was like subconscious. Um, are the ghosts of the playoffs going to come back to haunt these guys? I keep hearing stuff like that. And maybe they will, but I, I just really firmly believe that this is a little bit different makeup than any of the teams that they've been on before. I mean, it's basically two Hall of Fame point guards on the floor for probably 40-plus minutes a game during the playoffs. They're, they're going to be extremely hard to beat. I've talked mostly about the Rockets. Um, I'm going to give the Timberwolves a C+. Plus. Uh, I, I think they would have been a lot better, obviously, if Jimmy Butler hadn't got hurt, but I, we've talked a lot about Tom Thibodeau and his minutes, and that's, I, I think I got a doc at least a little bit 
for that. And I still don't think their offense is very imaginative. And for like a defensive guru as your coach, their defense should probably be better too. And I think, let's see what I did in this article. Um, I picked Rockets in five. I did the gentleman sweep. I'm thinking sweep now as I talk about this, but I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to say Rockets in five. I gave the Rockets an A plus because they, they, no one, I, I want to know who predicted them to have a better record than the Warriors at the end of the year while Chris Paul missed more than 20 games. Yeah, there couldn't have been anybody. Uh, so I gave, and I also gave uh, Minnesota a B minus. Again, I was slightly more generous than you. I wanted to give them something lower, but they did make the playoffs in spite of the Jimmy Butler yeah, injury. Yeah, that's true. The thing I have to say, though, is that they. Their most used lineup, their starting lineup, has played 2,260 possessions. Only one lineup in the league has played more, and that's the Kemba Walker, Nick Batum, Michael K. Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, Dwight Howard combination in Charlotte. Here's my qualm, though. It's only a 13-possession difference, and Jimmy Butler missed 23 games. Yeah, that's You also dealt with some an absence from Jeff Teague that did not overlap with jimmy butler so i it, you can't i think the starters are going to run into a wall i your point about the offense was was great and first of all their defense isn't good it's it's fine when jimmy butler's on the court which is why he what needs a, to garner oh go ahead i was gonna see what they're i didn't know if you had it pulled up but overall they finished the season 23rd in defense they defend like an above average team when jimmy butler's on the floor statistically but they against the Nuggets, so they win that game against the Nuggets, and it looked like their defense held serve a lot. The Nuggets missed all these bunnies at the rim. Nikola Jokic was setting up everyone for wide open three pointers all night, and they just kept front running the shit up, front running the shit. Wow, front rimming them <laughs> I got like you. crazy. And it's I don't think the defense was it was. I mean, the Nuggets didn't play well, and the Timberwolves they they ground out enough offense, and it was fine. This is what's going to kill the Timberwolves. The Rockets have the highest three-point attempt rate in the NBA. 50.2% of their shots come from beyond the arc. The Timberwolves are 30th at 26.1%. Yeah, so they're not keeping up. They're not keeping up. It's not, and it's not even, you know, this isn't a matter of, yeah, but, you know, efficiency kills here. Okay, that's fine. The Timberwolves are 13th in three-point percentage, 36.6%. Oh, that's opponent, so I'm not even looking at the right one. The Timberwolves on the season are shooting they're 19th at 35.7% from three. I actually thought it was a little bit higher. I was giving them too much credit. So they're not a great three-point shooting team and going to make up the difference with their accuracy. Houston's hitting 36.2% of their threes, 13th best mark in the league. I don't see this series lasting long. What could be interesting, though, and I'll, I will say this, the absence of Luke and Bob Moot expected to miss the first round because of a dislocated left shoulder. The He is important to the Rockets' defense. I still think they'll be fine. We've seen Gerald Green defend some fours in the past, and the Rockets have basically been fire whenever you throw Tucker out there at the five, and the Harden-Paul Capella combination is, has been great. But it, that's just something to monitor. I'll pick them in four, gave them an A, gave the Timberwolves a B-, and talking about this last night really quickly, I think the Timberwolves need a new coach more than the Denver Nuggets do. Um, yeah, I think I would agree with you. I, I, I know I've said a few times on here I don't want to. I don't like to call for anybody to get fired. Um, they don't need to fire Tibbs. Just that, tell him he can't ruin careers. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that situation 
is is concerning. Over sure. under on Jimmy Butler minutes per game in this series, I'm going to set it at 43. You it's going to be over. You think it's going to be 45? Oh yeah, I was going to say it was going to be over 40, but I I would probably say yeah, probably right around 43. I'll take the over. Oh my God. And it's just um, <laughs> there's no way to know what this guy is going to do. It's just it's crazy. And I, I ranted about this a few episodes ago. Just seeing what has happened to Luol Deng's career. He was so good. Joakim Noah, uh, Derek Rose. There's just so many also guys. On the Timberwolves. And it would be such – it would be – yeah. Um, and playing like real minutes now. In, in lineups that include Jamal Crawford and another point guard. It's just insane. Um, I kind of alluded to this. But, I mean, his, his specialty is supposed to be defense. And yes, they were missing Jimmy Butler for a huge chunk of the season, but they finished 23rd, and they were dreadful defensively last season. I mean, if, if you're not bringing defense to the table, and when you watch the Timberwolves, he's clearly not bringing a ton of offense either. Um, th- there, there are all kinds of problems with the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, right now. The fact that they made the playoffs maybe puts a little bit of a Band-Aid over it for now. Um, and we'll see how competitive they can be with the Rockets, but I have a feeling a lot of the issues, and you pointed out some of them, are just going to get um, destroyed. Very, very much exposed. Yeah. The, uh, the to say something in their favor, there are plus eight point three points per hundred possessions when Jimmy Butler plays, and that would be the third best point differential That's in the league. Big. They're yeah. one hundred five point one defensive rating during that time. By the way, would be good enough for about eleventh or twelfth in that range, which is just, and, it's, it's fine, but you can, how long can, can you guarantee they're going to play that way for, even if they give him 44 minutes a night? And the other thing is if they do play him like 40 to 45 minutes, um, he looked tired at the end of that nuggets game, which was understandable. And if he's got a bum leg and <laughs> like is not in the condition that he was in the middle of the season and they run him into the ground, it's going to be, it could be very, very tough for the Timberwolves. But shout out to Jimmy Butler. That net, that rating is if super he never got injured, and he would have. He might have been second place on the MVP ballot. Do you do you know where he is in real plus minus season long? Uh, in the league, yeah, three. Close fourth. The only guys ahead of him were Stephen Curry, James Harden, and Chris Paul. And even he played fifty nine games, and still finished fourteenth. In real plus minus wins, um, I, I said this at some point somewhere. Maybe it was here. Maybe it was in an article. Something, but he he was like a franchise changing talent for the second year in a row. He played like a top five to ten player. It's it is unfortunate for the Wolves that he was hurt for a while, and I I really really hope that he can get back to full health and have another ridiculous season next year. Um, Both of us that brings getting us- swept right for them. Yeah, I've got. Welcome back well, no, to the playoffs, five. Minnesota. T- you said five. Yeah, I gave him a gentleman sweep. I'm going four. Uh, I'm going to go to the Warriors and Spurs now. Uh, the number two Warriors finished 58 and 24. Do you remember what? How far into the season we were when we did the three quarter grades? Because I'd be interested to see what Golden State's record is since then. Um, and then they're playing the number seven San Antonio Spurs, who were 47 and 35. This one I actually did think about a little bit before we started recording. I'm going to give the Warriors a C. Uh, 
I feel like this last month, maybe month and a half of the season, that's got to be disappointing. Even even with missing Curry for 30 games or whatever it was, that team should have had enough talent to win 60 games, in my opinion. If there was ever a team, really in the history of basketball, that was set up to lose their best player and be okay, it should have been this team. But they just weren't. Um, I actually just looked this up today. Since February 1st, when Durant, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson are all on the floor and Stephen Curry is not, the Warriors were minus 37, which was minus 7.5 points per 48 minutes. Um, that's a pretty decent sample, too. That, that's over two months' worth of basketball now. I think they have every reason to be concerned, or at least their fans do. Every, I know there's still some people that say, oh, they'll, they'll tighten the screws defensively and they'll be fine in the playoffs, even without Curry for the first round. Um, but who's to say that Curry comes back and what if he's not 100% for the second round? Uh, I, I still think they'll beat the Spurs. Because um, the Spurs without Kawhi, I mean, kudos to them for getting into the playoffs and still winning 47 games. Marcus Aldridge has been, has been great. We've talked a lot about him on this podcast, um, I, I just don't think they have enough firepower to keep up with the Curryless Warriors. Uh, but if they don't get Curry back to 100%, I don't know, but uh, they, they might be vulnerable in the second round. Am I crazy to say that? No, I don't think you are. I, your grade is nuts. I get, to me. I, I, <laughs> I think I just gave him an A-plus, the uh, three-quarters one. And yeah. I picked... Uh, I picked the Warriors in six for that series, by the way. That, but could you imagine if the Spurs just bought Kawhi Leonard back for – brought him back? That's just, crazy. Be There's been, like, some whispers about that and how, like, it would happening. just seem so Spursian. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's going to happen either. But I would be tempted to pick the Spurs if, if Leonard was back and he looked like himself in the first game. That would be very scary for Golden State. Here's my thing with the Warriors. I gave them an A- minus because they have dealt with a ton of injuries and – Yes, yeah, they're, they're, they're not interested in getting back in transition on defense after missed shots. They're not good at defending after turnovers. That will get better. Draymond Green is going to get better on defense. We Andre Godala, uh, before he missed some time with, what was even his injury? I'm losing track of all the Warriors' injuries. He had a, was it a knee injury for him? Knee soreness, I believe. So I, he, he was shooting well all of a sudden. And you know he conserves himself on defense for the playoffs. We've seen it the past two years. Kevin Durant is probably going to get a little bit better defensively because he trailed off during the year, and I was right on Andre Godal's injury. That just proves that I'm amazing. Anyway. Well done, yeah. It's just, they, and they still, they still, were, if you want to give them a C for winning almost 60 games while <laughs> only having Stephen Curry for 51, really? Like, they, the, they, to me, what makes it look worse, and uh, all right, well, I found the numbers, first of all, that you wanted before is that since we recorded our three-quarters grades podcast, they're 7-9 and nine with a net rating of negative 1.4. Their defensive rating's been 5, 106.6. Their offensive rating since that time is 105.2. But again, they were missing Draymond Green for games, Clay Thompson for games, Kevin Durant missed time. It's just really hard for me to... I have to... It's another situation. We just talked about it with the Knicks. Have to see them prioritize rebuilding to believe it. I have to see the demise of the Warriors to believe it myself. And I think one of the things they should be penalized and maybe I'm being too generous, 
they should be penalized for the lack of effort on the defensive end. At the same time, I have an appreciation for a team that's clearly comfortable in its own skin and its own aims and knows what it needs to do for self-preservation into the NBA Finals. That's what I think. That's what I believe. That's what I think that I know the Warriors are doing. So, And what makes it look 10 times worse to everyone, and even to me a little bit, is just because the Rockets were so good. You see, oh my God, they had seven more wins than Golden State. The Rockets were unreal. Unreal. The Warriors probably weren't going to win 65 games if they didn't if they had everyone at full strength because they weren't interested in winning 65 games. And I think that became clear. Maybe I just put too much stock into thinking that they should be able to like walk backwards into 65 wins. I do. The Spurs series. With how much talent is on yeah, that squad. Yeah, and I didn't talk about the Spurs. So I gave the Warriors an A minus. I also gave the Spurs an A minus because they still f- kind of came within hugging distance of 50 wins without Kawhi Leonard. Which is just yeah, that's impressive for sure. Yeah, it's just absolutely. And if you go like after Leonard and Aldridge, um, there's really no one that just leaps off the page with that roster. So that that is impressive. Sorry, I cut you off. No, I cut me off whenever. The, by the way, the Warriors are also a stellar thirty and nineteen against teams above five hundred this season. So it's it's not like they they've known kind of when to turn on. The Jets. That's the second best record in the Western Conference because again the Rockets have been unreal. This is these are my Spurs tidbits though. I don't understand why people would try spinning them as a disappointment. They're they were close to fifty wins. They have the NBA's. They have a top five defense. Javante Murray leads all point guards in ESPN's defensive real plus minus. Kyle Anderson is second in defensive real plus minus among small forwards. The offense scores with top ten efficiency whenever Lamarcus Aldridge is on the floor. Matter Ginobili's damn ageless. He's just, he's still a treasure to watch. Still like highlights of him dunking randomly. Yeah. And it's, I, it, it's going to be tough for them to get some face off offense, but their lineup of Murray, Patty Mills, Danny Green, Kyle Anderson, LaMarcus Aldridge, that's their most used lineup is a plus 12.1 points per 100 possessions on the season. Offensive rating close to 107. Not great. Not even close to why their defensive rating of other under 95. They're going to be able to gum up the works and force the Warriors to execute in half court. And that's where it's going to get difficult for Golden State because Kevin Durant's really, he's your go-to half court score. You can, Draymond Green and Andre Godala can do some things. Klay Thompson can too, but Stephen Curry is really the only one who's used to operating in that capacity with Durant. And that's where things could get kind of funky. I am going, and I feel like a shithole for saying this, the Warriors in five. I'm banking on there being another level. If Kawhi comes back for some reason, give me the Warriors in six or seven, but I'm going to take them in five right now. I said Warriors in six on that one. I don't think I gave the Spurs a grade. I'm going to say B plus. You gave the Spurs a B plus, and you're going to say that they get to six games against the Warriors. I'm changing it to an A plus. Andy's giving I'm the trying an to. Uh, I'm trying to save my A's for for the really really good teams. Um, Let's see. Although I gave Indiana an A and they only had one more win than the Spurs, but nobody will remember that. They won't even remember that I just remembered it. All right, that brings us next to Portland, number three. They went 49 and 33. They will take on number six, New Orleans, who went 48 and 34. They were one of three teams uh, in the West to finish with 48 wins. This, I think, a lot like the Pacers in the East. Um, I don't think anybody saw Portland finishing third coming. And they were in third for most of, I think, like the entire second half of the season, at least. 
they've been really, really good this season. Uh, Damian Lillard, we talked about this when we did our All-NBA teams. I think he's very much deserving of a first-team guard spot. Um, you know, Stephen Curry is better when he's playing, but at some point I've got to fault him. And not maybe fault him is the wrong word because he's hurt. At some time I have to account for the amount of games he's missed. And Damian Lillard, like I said, he's just been insane. He, he finished this season um, – Seventh in real plus minus wins, and ninth in total real or, or just real plus minus. Um, just ridiculous all season long. He finished with a bang to scoring thirty six to secure number three in that win over the Jazz. I'm going to give the Blazers. I know I just said I'm trying to reserve the A's, but they just they so thoroughly outperform my expectations that I, I feel like I have to give them an A as well. And it goes beyond Damian Lillard. All I talked about was him. But C.J. McCollum's been good. Yusuf Nurkic has been awesome defensively. Um, you know, I complained about his offense a lot earlier in the season, and he's had some good offensive games as well. Shabazz Napier was a really nice surprise. Uh, Mo Harkless had a really nice stretch. It's it's kind of funny that we we sort of bagged Portland's team building for a while. It just seemed like they'd signed so many middling guys. But it all came together so well this season i'm gonna go ahead and give them an a new orleans um i'm gonna think about my grade for them as you talk and i i picked the blazers to win this series in six which that even like as i'm saying that i'm not so sure about it either because anthony davis has been ridiculous this season but i'm gonna let you take over from there I gave Portland a B plus because it, everything you said applies. Uh, Nurkic's rim protection has been phenomenal this year. Damian Lowe's true shooting percentage never higher. CJ McCollum is still a smooth operator on offense. I continue to the I keep they're going to miss Mo Harkless. He's another guy, but I continue to marvel at Amanu's just defensive versatility. He has yeah. This is this is incredible to me. He's defended as many pick and roll ball handlers as Kevin Durant, as many pick and roll role men as Aaron Baines, more spot-up possessions than Damian Lillard, and more post-ups than Anthony Davis. That's wild. He's shooting almost 37% from three, which... You got a... That's a that's one of your stizats tweets right there. <laughs> because the Twitter cares about Al-Farouk Avenue a great deal. That one's, that one's crazy to me, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, I thought the J.J. Redick one was still nuts, but... And the that, yeah, for sure. What was what's funny with Avenue too? So he's hitting almost thirty seven percent of his threes, shooting about sixty percent at the rim. <laughs> he's shooting under fifteen percent between ten feet and the three point line. I just yeah, that's a good that's a good range to be bad at. Yeah. Just don't shoot from there. He takes he still takes a little too many jump shots. If you're going to hit only fifteen percent of them, you better <laughs> take even less than he is. Yeah, um, just cut it out completely. Th- I here this is what I found fascinating with them. On average, on a month-to-month basis, their net rating changed by 4.3 points per 100 possessions. Going from October through their games in like April. It, it got better each no, month? No, it, it swung in every which direction. It just, it was all it was all over the place, and that's why I'm not sure whether I trust them. I mean, just look at I, I, December. They're minus 5.1 points per 100 possessions, and then in January, all of a sudden, they're plus 3.7. Oh, 
it changed each month by at least by an, four. Yeah, by an a, well, by an average of four point three okay. points per. The That's small still, that is interesting. Yeah, the smallest difference, if you're interested, was three point four points per one hundred possessions. January to February was the change, and then in March they're plus seven point two, but they go to minus four point one through five through their games in April. I just it's they're they're tough for me to figure out. They don't get out in transition a ton. They don't shoot an inordinate number of three-pointers, even though they have one of the best three-point guys, uh, or at least the three-point tough shot makers in in Damian Lillard. I wonder if they're going to have the firepower to go deep in the playoffs. That being said, the Hornet, uh, the Hornets, wow, the, the Pelicans <laughs> have not been great offensively since DeMarcus Cousins' injury, which is why I don't think we can just as easily say that they're better off without him. They have been playing at the NBA's fastest pace since DeMarcus Cousins went down. Yeah, I heard that somewhere else, and that was interesting. They're like a they're like a Suns-era Alvin Gentry team again all of a sudden. Right, and th- the problem is, though, and maybe it's not a problem because if you're not going to be hyper-efficient, they're, during that time, they're, they have a lower, net rate, uh, lower offensive rating than the Spurs. They're 17th in offensive rating, but their defense has just perked up a bit, and that probably could have been expected without Cousins. They have the fifth-best defense in the league, since that time, Anthony Davis has been a monster. We've gone through his numbers like a zillion times. I won't go through them again. Yeah. He's essentially averaging 30 points, 12 rebounds, two plus assists, more than three blocks a game, shooting an absurd percentage from the field, hitting more than 34% of his threes. He's just nuts. Drew Holiday has been a beast as well, particularly on defense. Roger, Ray John Rondo has helped them out a little bit. Darius Miller's experimented with some off-the-dribble pizzazz that I've liked to see. Uh, each one more, his outsized defensive assignments can hurt him, but he's still shooting well from from three. I I like their pieces and think that they can do some damage in a playoff series. I'm not going to pick them to win because I have respect for Portland's defense and what Damian Lillard can do as a singular offensive talent. He can just warp defenses in ways that Davis cannot because of his playmaking ability. I think this is going to go seven games, though. I'm picking Portland in seven, and I gave the Pelicans a B-plus because to be in the playoffs— as a six seed after losing Cousins for the season, that, that's big time. And what could tilt the scale of the series, if, if Nicole Miritich breaks out in any way, maybe all of a sudden the Pelicans look a lot better. All right. I'm, I'm changing my pick. <laughs> Did you just – you're changing um, from, Pelican, from Blazers to Pelicans? I, I'm going from Blazers and six to Pelicans and seven. Um, Damn it. You know what? I'm doing it too. No, I'm just kidding. Blazers and seven. Here's my reasoning. Uh, ob- like I said, I think Damian Lillard is obviously a huge part of what made Portland so good this season. I don't think Drew Holiday is going to completely shut him down. But if you had to pick from a handful of guards in the NBA that might be able to at least slow Lillard down, I think Holiday might be one of them. Um, here's, the, here's the real reason I'm, I, I kind of wanted to talk again about the Pelicans. Davis and Miritich, when they're on the floor together... New Orleans is outscoring opponents by 10.7 points per 100 possessions. Um, when Davis and Cousins were on the floor together, New Orleans was outscoring opponents by 4.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, Davis at the center, I think, is going to be a nightmare for <laughs> Portland. Uh, the more that I sort of look at the numbers and, and as we talk about this. I also didn't give New Orleans a grade. Um, surviving the DeMarcus Cousins injury, I, I think... They deserve a ton of credit for that and really maybe even thriving. Um, 
like I just pointed out, that Davis Meritich combo has been really, really good. Um, I, this series almost comes down to which superstar do you think is better, uh, Damian Lillard or Anthony Davis? And Whoa, as I, I mean, more. that seems like yeah, it's, it's, such a diluted <laughs> version of the series. I'm. Is it not crazy, or is it crazy to think that these are both just kind of like? I agree with I your point say, that I don't it, want to say one man show, but no, because it's not maybe because, more than any other team in the Western, more than any other team in the Western Conference. I think these two teams are most dependent on their top guy. Does that make sense? In the yeah, but I don't know. Drew Holiday. Maybe it was unfair to phrase it as like Lillard versus Davis because then it seems like you have to go Davis, and you probably we do but i I think your um, your initial premise was more accurate just because the blazers are less likely to shut down anthony davis maybe there's the way to say it right the pelicans are to really hamper lillard and drew holiday by the way so since demarcus cousins injury i'll read his whole stat line because the offense has been great too but the defensive numbers are killing me he's averaging 19.4 points 4.6 rebounds 7.2 assists 1.6 steals and one block per game and on the season, there have been almost 100 players who have guarded at least 150 pick-and-roll ball handler possessions. He is third in points allowed per possession. Third. Are you sure you don't want to switch your pick I'm with going, me? I, I think the Blazers are going to end up being – they're just more equipped to win close games when you look at it because they have McCollum. They have Lillard. Those Napier-McCollum-Lillard combinations can get really interesting offensively. They can do their own pick-and-pop action. If the if the Pelicans play Nurkic off the floor, that'll be a problem, but the Ed Davis-Zach Collins front-court combination has been good. Evan Turner all of a sudden decided to start missing threes again. He closed the season going 0 for his last six, but he's been shooting for his last 51 games, 37.8% overall, under two attempts per game, but close to it. If he can just force the Pelicans to not leave him entirely alone, that's going to do a bunch of different things to the Blazers. I think this could end up being the best first-round series. It's going to be this one or the next one we talk about. The East, I'm intrigued to see Sixers heat, but I, I don't. I, I just don't think it's going to be as entertaining as maybe it will be close. So I'm, I'm really excited to watch this series. I have one more Pelican stat before we move on. Beardless Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jokic, Nikola Mirotic, um, five games, 25.8 points, 12 rebounds, 1.2 steals, almost a block a game, 56% from the field, 47% from three. That's kind of Beard- absurd. Beardless Nikola Mirotic, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's move on to the four five after we spent half the podcast on pelicans blazers just like yeah and and i changed my mind like twice during the i'm gonna force you i want both teams grades when you talk i feel like we keep going back to you give one i give two you give the other one and then Uh, change your pick for the series that's that's the cycle yeah i was all over the place admittedly in that portland new orleans pelicans i think that's why the series is going to be good right yeah maybe that is a good indication of what the series will be like okay see 48-34, Forty-eight and thirty-four. They finished fourth. Utah, forty-eight and thirty-four. They finished fifth. Um, I'm going to give OKC a B, just because they did recover quite a bit. But I, I think 
it's still fair to be at least moderately disappointed with that team. They had the reigning MVP. They had Paul George. There was so much sort of fanfare with the way that team came together. And those two at the top, um, it's certainly one of the best duos in the NBA. It just took them so long to kind of figure it out on both ends of the floor and to kind of figure out how to win close games. There was just so many things to work through. And maybe we should have expected that of them. Uh, but falling short of 50 seems like a slight disappointment for them. Not a big one. So I, you know, that's why I still give them a B Utah. They went 48 and 34 as well. Uh, and maybe this is my bias showing I'm going to give them an a, and it's because that late season recovery that they made, I think it wound up being like 28 and six in their last 34 or something like that. Um, to go from, uh, in the Western Conference, at, at this time in NBA history, to be 19 and 28 at that point of the season, and to turn around and make the playoffs, not just make the playoffs, like be competing for home court advantage, it, it just seems impossible. I, I don't think anybody would have bought that if you told Jazz fans or really anybody who pays attention to the NBA at that time when they were 19 and 28, hey, they're going to end up fifth in the Western Conference. That's just insane they've been ridiculous for a few months now so i'm going to give them an a and it's it's more of like an in-season development type of a grade for them uh for the series this is another one that's just extremely difficult for me to call um pick the kings (laughs) maybe i think earlier in the podcast i said boston milwaukee was the hardest Uh, this one is really tough for me too in my article i put thunder in seven um i'm gonna stick with it i just don't think they have anybody who can westbrook is such a force of nature and and rubio has been incredible in this turnaround he just cannot keep up with westbrook's physical dominance um i I think he's gonna have a huge series despite how good utah is as a team defensively um, and Paul George is obviously going to cause a, a lot of problems too. Joe Ingles is, is a very good wing defender, but I, I think those two guys at the top are, I don't want to like discount Rudy Gobert, but those are probably the two most talented players in the series. I mean, just um, because they can do, and I hate to say this, it's because they can do all the off the dribble work. As scores. Yeah, I was going to say, if we're in like an impactful discussion, maybe Rudy Gobert crashes that party. Um, but I think there's a pretty reasonable argument that they have the best two players in the series. So I'm sticking with Thunder in seven. Um, it kind of hurts me to say it. Uh, Utah is an incredible team. Like on both ends of the floor, they play so well together. So I wouldn't be surprised if they pull off the upset, but I'm going to go uh, OKC in seven. The Thunder are incredible. I'm going to start with the Jazz, actually. I gave them an A, and it wasn't. I, I picked Quinn Snyder as coach of the year, basically for everything you just said. I, you have to appreciate what Brad Stevens done did, not only because the Celtics dealt with injuries, but all the turnover. That being said, they had the talent initially, and they also got off to a hot start. I think it's harder to motivate and galvanize your team as a coach when you're 19 and 28 like the Jazz were, five games outside the West playoff bubble. It's January 22nd. Rudy Gobert's barely back from his stint his 15 game that stint 15 game stint on the sidelines with the second knee injury and Ricky Rubio looked unplayable for a large part of the season that's why he's my coach of the yeah, year yeah there pick. was 
there was a stretch where he didn't even look like an NBA player. It was crazy. And For him to go from that to what he is now is, yeah, it's insane. There, yeah, and they have, since Rudy Gobert came back that second time, the NBA's best point differential per 100 possessions, bar none. 10.8, their net rating of 10.8. Their defensive rating is 97.5 since then. We have to respect them. The thing that concerns me, and maybe it won't matter against the Thunder because they've been so topsy-turvy in close games defensively, but who is this team trusting for go-to buckets down the stretch? And I'm not, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be an ass when I say you can't just assume that it's going to be Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell has been good, even in the clutch. He's been a net plus. He sh- he's slashing, uh, well, he's not, he's shooting 81% at the foul line, but he's shooting 40% in the clutch, 27.3% from downtown. What happens if the Thunder just throw Paul George on him, half-court possession? Is it Joe Ingles, They're, Ricky They Rubio? probably will at some point. Yeah, and and then what is your closing lineups for the Jazz? Is it probably going to be Jay Crowder, so now Derek Favors is on the bench, or do you chance putting Derek Favors in because you know he can at least create for himself inside the arc? Those questions, I think, are going to matter in the playoff series, and I agree with what you said about Paul George and Russell Westbrook. With the Thunder, though, and I just I have a ton of numbers here to highlight how confusing they are they barely clinched a playoff berth in the 11th hour essentially but they have a better point differential outside garbage time than the third seeded portland trailblazers according to cleaning the glass (laughs) they have a losing record 17 and 19 they're 17 and 19 through games in which neither side trails by more than three points entering the final three minutes but they have the west third best record against teams above 500 russell westbrook is posting it's so hard to figure out. Russell Westbrook is posting his worst true shooting percentage since his sophomore campaign. The Thunder are still 9.4 points better per 100 possessions with him on the floor. Carmelo Anthony has never been a less efficient scorer, but he's also never taken more of his shots off the catch, which is exactly what they wanted him to do. Yeah. The Thunder defend like a bottom five squad when Paul George plays without Andre Robertson, but they defend like a borderline top 10 squad when he plays without Robertson, but has Alex Abrinas and Jeremy Grant on the floor. It's just, they're all over the place. And That's the, crazy, yeah. So I wouldn't be inclined to pick them based off the Jazz's potential crunch time pecking order struggles alone. I am, however, about to recite Paul George's playoff averages through his last three postseason campaigns, which span 30 games. He's averaging 24.4 points. 7.8 rebounds, 4.4 assists, 2.1 steals, a half block, shooting 41.1% from three, getting to the foul line more than seven times per game where he's shooting almost 85%. Playoff Paul George is a thing too. Yeah, and for sure. I think that's what's ultimately going to turn this series. What could sour it? And I think I'm going to give the Jazz, I'm going to say Thunder in seven because I want to give the Jazz kudos. And I gave the Thunder a B just because they're literally... That's my like shrug grade. What what are they? Uh, what <laughs> what could really turn the series though in the Jazz's favor? What will Russell Westbrook do in crunch time? Because we have to assume these games aren't going to be uh, blowouts all the time. And Russell Westbrook has not shot well in the clutch this year. Paul George has. We went through this last podcast. Paul George is averaging under twelve field goal attempts per thirty six minutes in crunch time. That's not okay. Is Westbrook going to be okay being more deferential? Will he take better shots? Can Carmelo Anthony hit some of the shots that he's getting? 
if they if this doesn't change, if Paul George isn't allowed to channel his inner postseason animal, then I could see the Jazz stealing this series. But I go, I'm, I'm going to go Thunder in seven. I don't feel good I'm about really, it. Though. I'm really curious to see what happens, and and I can almost guarantee they're going to do this. What Russell Westbrook does when Joe Ingles guards him, because I think he's going to be licking his Get chops. Pickpocketed. Um, yeah, he probably could get pickpocketed a lot. I think we could see a lot of miss mid-range jumpers there, too. That was one of the coolest adjustments that Utah made last season against the Clippers that I don't think they really saw coming. When they put Joe Ingles on Chris Paul, um, it changed things quite a bit. You can't put <laughs> you can't put Ingles on Westbrook for long stretches because he would just get worn out way too fast. Um, but they're going to have to try lots of different guys on him, and that'll be really interesting to watch. Is Donovan Joe... Mitchell will probably get a crack at it. I think Rubio, the starting point guard, is is maybe the least equipped um, of their options to slow him down and stay in front of him. So it'll be interesting to see all the different options they try. Is it possible that have... Joe Ingles ends up being the, just the number two or the alternative guy in crunch time offensively? He has, and this uh... is, I'll throw this out here, he has hit more pull-up three-pointers this season than Jamal Crawford, who has taken 25 more pull-up three-pointers than Joe Ingles, and yet Joe Ingles has made more pull-up three-pointers overall. He's been—I have not—I've been a little bit concerned. He's turned the ball over a crap ton in the pick-and-roll, I believe more than 20% of the time when I last checked. That concerns me. He seems to be very indecisive, almost as if he doesn't want to shoot, and that makes him easier to defend. He could be, if I'm the Jazz, though, if I'm Quinn Snyder, he might be the guy. If we're going to assume that Derek Favors maybe isn't on the floor in crunch time or that you don't have the luxury of really milking a set from the block, he might be my pick as that second guy to just go to for ground-up offense. He he probably has to be. Um, I think Ricky, Ricky Rubio is probably going to take it upon himself to be that guy. I would probably prefer it was Joe Ingles, but that's another interesting thing that we'll – See play out unless you have anything else um, on that race or any or that matchup or any of the other ones that we talked about. I think that pretty much wraps us up for today. Yeah, you're you're welcome to the listeners for squeezing this in in about an hour and twenty minutes previewing <laughs> we every really single did. playoff that was... series and, and and final season report card grades. You're Plus, welcome. we did like fifteen to twenty minutes on the coaches um, getting yes. fired. Wow, we we covered a so, lot. Of Plus, we spent about six hours on the Pelicans and Blazers. Yeah, and all on like three or four hours of sleep for me, which is that that's low for me. You're a superhero, you unaware. That's low um, for any human, I think, <laughs> except for Dan Favelli. If you want to uh, argue with us or commend us on any of the opinions that we threw out there today, or any of the stats or anything like that, um, find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favelli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. The sponsors at NBA underscore Math. As Dan said in the beginning of the show, go to nbamath.com slash shop and enter the promo code B-E-N-O for Beno Udri, and you'll get 15% off anything in that NBA math shop, and that's a heck of a deal. Um, as always, we implore you to rate and review the podcast if you haven't done that already. Uh, we sincerely appreciate those. And tell your friends to subscribe. Um, I haven't told you to steal anybody's phone in a while, so I feel like I need to do that. Steal their <laughs> Subscribe for him. And and lastly, just like Dan said at the beginning, sincere thank yous for listening, guys. It really is cool to get interaction with you uh, 
off the podcast as well. So thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, you know, thanks for indulging us. And until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Kyle Anderson and Bino Udry. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.